For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. I'm imagining you know that Audible.com has a lot of audiobooks, but you may not know about all the other content. So we are offering you a free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, sign up for that free trial, and check it out. Look around, explore. I think you're going to be amazed and delighted. Over the years, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast has gained recognition as a great resource for small business owners, sales professionals, entrepreneurs, and uh, business leaders of all kinds, and that's because of the guests. These are folks with expertise in a particular area of business, and they join me to share that expertise with all of you. Today is no different. Today, my guest is Bill Flynn. Bill has more than 30 years of experience working for and advising hundreds of companies, including startups, where he has a long track record of success. After working for 10 different high-tech startups in different market segments, like speech recognition, e-commerce, and affiliate marketing, where he was a VP of sales eight times, twice a CMO, and once a GM of a division of a $100 million IT services company, he pivoted to become a business growth coach. Bill is a multi-certified growth coach. He has a certification with distinction from Foundations of Neuroleadership. He's a certified predictive index partner, an author and international speaker. Bill's best-selling book, Further Faster, The Vital Few Steps That Take the Guesswork Out of Growth, continues to garner a five-star rating. Thanks so much for joining me today, Bill. Thanks for having me on, Diane. I'm looking forward to chatting with my fellow sales maven. <laughs> this is going to be a great conversation because we're, we're both passionate about this subject. Um, I 
am really curious. You know, uh, we live in strange times. Some people could say that small businesses are perpetually in strange times, but I'm curious about what what you think are like reasons why few companies survive, fewer even than that flourish, and most of them fail. Yeah, um, great question. There are a few reasons um, sort of why I think it happens. Uh, I think the problem stems first from the fact that we were really never taught how to be leaders of teams. Uh, we've been taught how to be good engineers or good finance people um, or maybe a good mathematician, uh, whatever it might be, something in marketing or, or business administration, but never sort of leadership or, or leading of teams, which is really, I think, what a great leader does. We do a lot of things that are, that are wrong or mostly wrong because we've never been taught anything differently. Um, and since most businesses fail over time, uh, there's some stats out there. I was just looking at them in preparation for this yesterday. And I looked over, uh, I think from the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics over a 25 year period, you go from about a 50% chance of lasting five years to about a 16% chance of lasting 25. So the longer you're in business, the more likely you are to be out of business which is a little counterintuitive, right? Because you figure, <laughs> hey, I should be getting better at this. Uh, uh, and some do, absolutely. So the, the reasons I think there are three of them that, that I think that businesses struggle mightily, either fail or struggle, and very few thrive, is that there's a huge gap between what science knows and business does. There's a lot of great information out there from people who've been researching business for wow, maybe a century, you know, we've got Edgar Schein and Peter Drucker and all of these people who have been around for a really long time telling us sort of the tenets of a business, yet we kind of read them and say, yeah, that's a really good idea. And then we go back to whatever it is we feel like is the right thing to do for us, which isn't necessarily correct. And many of these things are actually counterintuitive. The next thing is that we focus on too many things, or I should say, we, we, we look at too many things, we focus on too few things. Um, uh, we should be focusing on a few things instead of a lot of things, I should say, instead. And then lastly is, I think those that don't die but make it, they survive mostly through force of will, effort, luck, and timing, which just don't scale. Uh, and I think that's, it, when you start combining all those things together, that's why I think over time, businesses start to fail. Wow, that, I love, I mean, I don't love it because it's not great, <laughs> but that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Well, the good news, uh, yeah. can I tell you the good news is most of yeah. it's preventable. It's, it's, there are businesses that thrive and I've been studying business sort of a little bit for 30 years, but really intensely in the last five or six, really studying success and why some businesses succeed uh, and not just succeed, but thrive, just, you know, go through the roof and not just in terms of top line, but really in terms of you know, employee engagement and profit and cash and, and all those things. And I found that there are a few things that, that they all do really well. Um, that's what my book is about. Okay. So I, I want to talk about what they do really well because it feels to me like I thought it was so interesting when you said that we, we don't learn how to lead teams. When you said that, my thought came to, boy, you know, we know how to be on teams. We're taught how to be on a team, but not necessarily how to lead it. 
right, like we're on Little League or, you know, part of the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts or whatever, we're taught to be a team player but not a team leader. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, and I think to go hand in hand, I think team leaders create better team members. Um, you know, and, and Amy Edmondson's done a lot of work here, and there are a bunch of other people who have done work here on teams. Um, and what they found is that we have, there are two definitions of a team. One is a collection of individuals who sort of get together and do stuff. And the other is people who share roles and responsibilities toward a shared goal. Um, and they also have each other's back. To me, the second is more of a team, right? If you, if you think of sports, that's, um, you know, the Boston Celtics or the New England Patriots or, you know, the Olympic team of 2000, of 1996. And, you know, these teams that do, that work really well together, you know, Southwest creates great teams within their organization. Um, unfortunately, I think mostly we, we have the first definition we think is a team um, and, and that doesn't guide us very well because if you're not all on the same page, moving in the same direction, having each other's back, then, then that creates problems. That creates silos, that creates um, a, a not a psychologically safe environment as, as Amy Edmondson would say. So I think that's one of the, one of the ways that we fail. Team, teams are so important. Teams do pretty much all the work if you really think about it. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so you mentioned before that, that um, you know, good leaders are good team players. So, so how does a leader engage? Like, how, how are they a part of a team that thrives? What, what's that? What role do they play? How do they do that? Yeah, so how do they do it and what role do they play? Or different things. So I'll answer both. Um, so first, okay. what role do they play? Their job is to create a really good team. Their job is to attract the right kind of people with the right skill sets or the ability to do um, to to grow their skill set, but also fit into the the culture of the team. Uh, that's really important. Uh, you know, if we don't have people that uh, that sort of believe in the same things, uh, want to get to the same place, have the same general values and purpose as well, then then the team may or may not do well. That's, I think it's a little more of a, it's more relying on that luck thing that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, so you have to be really good at that, which is really hard to do because people are strange and crazy and weird and irrational and impulsive. And, and, uh, and so your job, I think, as a team leader is to say, hey, give them a vision of the team or the company or whatever. I think you can do a vision of anything you want and say, this is when, when we're done or when we think we're successful, this is what it looks like. If you want to do that and help us do that, then let's keep talking. Let's make sure that you're a good fit. I want to make sure you have the right skills, et cetera. But I also want to make sure that you're going to fit within our environment. And not necessarily because you're the same as everyone else, but at least you have the same values, right? You can come from different places and have generally the same values. And once you do that, then you have to um, get the team to work together. In essence, a team is made up of spiky individuals and you're trying to make it a well-rounded team. Uh, we too often, I think, as leaders, try to make people well-rounded. And I don't think people are generally well-rounded we're all different. We all have our strengths and weaknesses and, and our biases and all these kind of things. And your job is to figure that out and work with those as opposed to try to mold people into what you think is the right thing. And then, so that's sort of what you got to do at the beginning. And then like, how do you do that? You have to create this, this psychologically safe environment, right? Uh, you have to create an environment where people feel that they can speak up, they can make mistakes, they can admit those mistakes, and they don't have this fear of scorn, ridicule, retribution, et cetera, from the team. Their team members are going to realize, hey, we're all human and we all screw up. 
but you know, it, it would, if, if it was for the right reasons and you thought it was the right thing based upon values and growth and all those, you know, those sort of tenets that we had in place to begin with, then you just need to course correct a little bit and say, okay, how will we do it differently next time? And, and I don't, I don't think we do that enough. We try to correct more than we try to point out where people do things really well. And generally, there's been a lot of research. When you, when you focus on people doing stuff right, and then you basically interrogate them, you find a, a way to say, hey, that was, Diane, that was wonderful what you just did there in that meeting. What did you do? And you might say, I have no idea. I just did it. And then you interrogate them and you try to piece it apart and say, okay, well, it sounds like what you're really good is you're really empathic. And you're really good at being curious, et cetera. And so let's figure out how to put you in a position to do that more often and even get stronger at that. When you find that, when research says when you find and you do those things for people, they get better and better and better at what they're good at. And guess what? They're less and less likely to do the things that are wrong, which is really interesting. <laughs> um, so you know, so that's generally, I mean, obviously if there's existential issues or, or critical things you have to correct, but I think correcting is, we overcorrect too much and meaning we correct too yeah. much too often. Yeah, no kidding. It, it, it reminds me of um, Tom Rath's book, How Full Is Your Bucket? And, and the whole concept of if we focus on what we do well, instead of trying to fix what we don't do well, then people thrive because if they don't, if they aren't doing it well, it, it becomes a struggle, not something that is fulfilling and motivating and uplifting. Exactly. And I think, wow. I think that's one of your primary roles as a team leader, because, you know, when we're really good at something, we don't often know that we're really good at it because to us, just, just what we do. Uh, yeah. and so we don't notice it, but other people are saying, no, 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 Diane, you have a, you have a talent that I have rarely see. And we need to figure out what that is, get deeper into it, and have you use it as often as possible. You may have more than one talent, so we're going to try to figure out what those few things are. You know, and you don't usually have 20 talents. You usually have a few really good talents that pop out to the top. And as a team leader, if they can figure out how to get those people doing the, their best as often as possible, what they love and they enjoy and they're really good at often, um, and it fits into the, into the mix of the team and to the goals of the company, that's then you can go anywhere, almost at any speed you want. Hmm. Wow. This is, I, I, it, it so resonates with me. I, I just, I think this is really incredible. And, and I'm going to take my sponsor break now so that we can just, you know, continue with the conversation. And Sounds good. I know it's done. Okay. Uh, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. And audible.com is more than audio books. So yes, they have thousands of titles. And as a matter of fact, Bill's book, Further Faster, is one of them. So you can get the trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and go and snag his book and read it. And you will learn so much stuff, more than what we're going to have time to talk about today. Uh, and you can also explore the other content like podcasts and Audible Originals, uh, Guided Meditations. There's just a whole lot there that I'm not sure people even realize. So go get that trial, audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Go exploring. Find the content that's great for you, and I think uh, you're going to be hooked, uh, as I am. Uh, as I mentioned, today we are speaking with Bill Flynn about how to take the guesswork out of business growth. 
Okay. So when you were talking before the break, a thought that kept going through my head was, I don't understand why it is so difficult for leaders to do what you were talking about, to create a safe psychological space, to encourage people to try, to encourage people to speak up, to be, you know, create an environment that understands that that we're all human and and whatnot. And I'm just curious about what you, why you think this is not more common. Oh, um, great question. Uh, and I, I don't want to get too deep, and this is where you're going to need to pull me back a little bit. So uh, there's this guy, Frederick Winslow Taylor and Sir Francis Galton, and I believe that they are the two main guys as to why we are here today. Um, are you familiar with either of these guys? No. So Taylor is basically the um, inventor, uh, not really inventor, he is the genesis of our current education system. And his job, he, he started doing this in the 1800s. And, you know, when we were an industrial country and routinized work was really the thing. And education was about teaching people how to do things correctly. And the job of the leader or the manager was to correct them and to give them a set of steps. And you did the steps and you did them really well. Uh, and Sir Francis Galton uh, is a guy who basically says that, you know, there are people who are high, high, high potentials and no, low potentials and you basically should ignore the low potentials and et cetera. And both of these things no longer fit into our world. One, the Galton thing is just completely wrong, according to modern neuroscience. And Taylor's, I think, was really good at the time, but it's no longer there. Now we're, we're, we're basically a service economy and a knowledge economy. And it's about creativity and insight and innovation. And, and, and you have to make sure you understand that as a leader, you're not trying to have people do a number of steps. In certain things, yes, but generally you're looking for them to bring their brains to work not just their bodies. Um, that's what they used to do before. They didn't need their brains, right? They were given a set of steps and they, you know, they did this button and that button or whatever. And that was it. So I think that's basically where we are today. And, and you know, it takes a long time for these things that are so rooted in our, in our culture to go away. Um, but that's, I think that's the history of why we are today. We, we were taught in school to have the answer, right? You were, you were considered an excellent student and a good learner if you are able to be filled up with information and then spit it back the way that the teacher expected it. You were not taught how to be critical in your thinking. You were not encouraged in any way to challenge what the teacher was saying. Um, you, your job was to raise your hand and answer the question, not say, why is that true? Or how do you know that? Or where are you getting that information? Um, so we're not taught that way. So we as leaders are, are, are told, you know, especially the higher up you go, the more you should know. And I used to be that way as a leader. Because uh, that's what I was taught. My mother was a school teacher, <laughs> and she loved being right. Uh, and I, she taught me that being right is really good. And then I found out later on that you know what? It's actually less of an asset than we than we've come to think it to be. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. It yeah, makes sense crazy. when you say it. I never would have made that connection. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So if I'm a leader in a company and, and I need to, you know, reframe and, and change the way I'm thinking and be able to create this environment, I mean, that feels like that, that's a lifetime of uh, indoctrination that I'm going to have to get over. Um, what do I do? 
Yeah, well, first you have to um, break free of that. And it's really hard because that's a mindset. And if you've had a mindset that's been in your brain since you were two, three, four years old and then reinforced for your first, whatever it is, 15, 18, 20 years, that's really hard to get over. And so it doesn't feel right. Um, but those that have figured it out are the ones that create the best teams and they work and they work really hard. And they, and, you know, I'm watching this thing called Playbook on Netflix, which is talking about these great coaches of all time. And they've got um, a number of really, uh, I think there are only six or seven episodes right now. And they've got Doc Rivers and they've got, um, I can't remember the, the woman's name who runs South Carolina college basketball. And then Jill Ellis, who, who ran the women's national team. And, you know, the theme is very clear. They said, look, you know, I, I need to let them know that I'm human, they're human, we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to get right every time. But guess what we're going to do? I'm going to work together as a team. Everything that I'm, I'm doing and I want you to do is, is for the better of the team. Um, Doc Rivers talks about this thing called Ubuntu, which is a, um, an African word for, in essence, um, how, to, how, you, how I am better as a person because you are part of my life. And, and you can be better as a person when I'm better as a person. So we all are connected. Um, and so I think you have to adopt that mindset, which to be honest with you, most people don't do. And I think that's another reason why I think over time businesses fail because, hey, generally when you're in business for a long time, you start to grow and, and, and you'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then that process you think that got you there is the right one, but you don't realize that it doesn't scale. If, if you're the one responsible for really making the, the business grow or just a handful of you and the business starts to get really big, you just don't have enough time in a day to do it. And, and most businesses hit a wall somewhere between two and 15 years, something like that, right? Might take a little bit longer, but they all hit a wall. And it's the ones who realize that they need humility and courage, right? To keep focusing on the vision, but also know that they don't know everything and they need to rely on people and they, they have to be really comfortable with three phrases. I'm sorry, I don't know, I need help. So you as a team leader have to be really comfortable with that because then if, if they see you as human, then they'll start to be, okay, they'll feel more safe and they'll speak up, et cetera. Um, it happens too often that, we, that people don't speak up and we really need them to. Um, I, I love this phrase by Reed Hastings, which you know, he did at Netflix, which he says, silent disagreement is disloyal. He wants you to disagree with him. He may not go with what you say, but he wants to hear what you have to say right. so he can consider it. And, and we all can consider, right? All on the team. So that's what, you know, wow. there's no magic answer to this because <laughs> it's a mindset. But, you know, once you realize it, then I think you can at least start to work on it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So you really do have to look at, critically, you have to be able to look at where you are and what you're doing and is there a disconnect? Like, are you getting, are you really getting where you want to go or have you gotten yourself into like a hamster wheel sort of existence where it's all on you and it's just not, it, it, it's not progressing. Exactly. Yeah. As you're saying, I think what you're saying is it really all starts with you as a leader, leader of the team, leader of the company, yeah. whatever it is. You have to make sure that you're comfortable enough and confident enough in yourself to know that there's no way that you know everything. I mean, Einstein even said it himself. He said, we know one millionth of 1% of anything. And he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Um, and he was including himself in that mix. So if Einstein says he doesn't know much of anything, the likelihood of you knowing it is, is much less because he was in the top half percent in terms of smarts. And he was pretty wise too. So, uh, you know, I think we have to give ourselves a break. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> 
we are hard on ourselves, aren't we? Definitely are. Oh, my gosh. Okay, and you say there are 10 myths uh, about um, leadership and, and growth, and I'm curious which ones you think are the most impactful. I'm curious what they are, yeah. but I'm really um, curious about which ones are hurting us. So I think the, the most impactful is the one about people, which also I think is, uh, encompasses hiring. Uh, I've been studying the brain for about 15 years uh, and also cognitive science and behavioral science because I think it's really important. I, I did it actually as a sales person and then as a sales VP because I, uh, I've always been curious and, and, uh, and, and I would say, you know, I wasn't a really good salesperson when I first started, but, but I knew my product inside and out. Right. And yeah. I, I learned stuff. I mean, I'm pretty smart and, and I have a really pretty good memory and I, and I really like what I was doing, but I wasn't a very good salesperson. And I, I was saying, why is that? You know, I, I know this thing cold. And then I sort of thought about it. So what's the process of sales? And the, the process of sales is to help someone else make a decision yeah. in the end. And so I studied decision-making. I said, okay, well, how, how do we make decisions? How does the brain make decisions? And I learned how the brain makes decisions and it doesn't make it in any way the way that I thought. Um, decisions are generally mostly driven through emotion first and then rational thinking second. Uh, and what I learned is that we're all kind of crazy, irrational, impulsive, emotional beings. And if you can appeal to that predictable irrationality as a salesperson, it's a bit of a superpower and you could use it for evil if you wanted to. Uh, I didn't and I, didn't, I taught my guys, you, know, you have to be honest and responsible with this, but I taught them you know, what I learned. And from that point on, I was always the number one, number two salesperson anywhere I went. Mm. Uh, now I had to believe in the product that I, you know, I, I right. that, right. And, I, and I had to be yeah. ethical. I, you know, I was wanted to make sure, and I had to make it about them. Yeah. But once I did that, I was, you know, I, I, I was always successful in sales. And then I taught that to my guys. So I think the people is the most impactful. You really need to understand that we're all a little crazy. And, and in order for us to, to lead them, we have to understand we're crazy too. And as I said, you need to have compassion for yourself and compassion for them. If you hire well and you train well, then, and people screw up, your job is to say, you know, hey, yep, that was a screw up. Let's learn from that. And it's not a failure if we, unless we don't learn from it and, and then we'll get better, right? Um, so I think that's the biggest one of all, of all the things. And, and I said, you know, people is, I think it's one of the things we do people wrong and we do hiring wrong. And I think they're sort of the same way. We, we think we can hire well through an interview and science shows that, um, the worst way to hire anyone is through an interview because we have 150 unconscious biases um, that triggered immediately upon meeting someone. And we think we're being really good at, hire, at interviewing, but our brain is fooling us on a regular basis outside of our awareness. And what happens is too often we hire people that are a lot like us. And that's not good for diversity of thought. <laughs> Is it is is part of that 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 people who aren't like us make us uncomfortable? Of course, right. You know, and, huh. and growth growth is 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 uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> you want right. to grow yourself, etc. You have to be uncomfortable. You have to invite different ideas and thoughts, and be curious and wonderf and wonderfully um, accepting of those ideas. You don't have to say that. You don't have to adopt them. But you can even do this in politics. You can have someone who complete, is the complete opposite of you and you can just try to convince them that they're wrong. And by the way, that's never going to happen. Or you can say, you know what? You know, and, and I don't know what your political leanings are, um, but I would say, you know, if you said something that I just completely disagree with, I would say, 
wow, Diane, that is amazing. I think the exact opposite. Tell me how you got there. You know, walk me back to when you started thinking this was true and I can maybe learn something from you. And I can say, how did you learn? How does that help you in your life? And et cetera, as opposed to saying, you know, you're wrong and here's why you're wrong and here's the data. Um, that's fine if you want to be in debate class, but uh, if you really want to have a relationship with someone because you're not just that one point of view, you're a much larger thing. I have good friends of mine who we have completely different political thoughts, but I love them. They're wonderful yeah. people. Um, and I don't define them by that. I define them by their, who they are in, as, as, as a whole, not as one of their pieces. So I think that's the biggest piece is, is you got to really understand that, um, that people are rational. That'll help you not only with hiring, it'll help you with how to sell to them. Uh, it will tell you how to build things for them that they will actually enjoy um, and get delight from. Uh, there's this great book. I don't know if you've read it. Bob Mesta wrote it just out in the last week or so called Demand Side Sales. I've been waiting for this book for about six or seven years. Um, and he finally wrote it. And he basically says, here's my, here's my secret formula. And in essence, he says, look, if you do these things, you, you won't have to sell anymore. You'll be a concierge, he calls it. And what you'll be doing is you'll be finding the right people who, who, who and you'll understand why they make decisions and why they decide to move to the next product or why they bought the product itself. And once you understand that at a certain level, at a functional, social, emotional level, you don't need to sell anymore. You just need to go find those types of people and say, hey, if you're like this and you care about these things, you probably want to talk to me. And they're, and they're saying, oh my God, where have you been all my life? That's exactly what I'm thinking. And then you just figure out the nuances of how to make it work as opposed to trying to convince them that your stuff is really good. Um, and I think that was one of the Which reasons I was I'm sorry? Uh, which never works. Convincing is not a sales strategy, even it's though not. many salespeople think it is. Yeah, we don't like to be convinced of anything. No, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> and we're proving no. that over and over again. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, shoot, I had a question that totally left my head. Um, you've You've talked about this a couple of times about um, there's a difference between what science knows and business does, and um, and this 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 is the question I wanted to ask you. I'm I'm like fascinated by this hiring point because I I didn't realize the reasons why. Like I knew people hired badly, um, I didn't know why, and so I I w would love you to go into a little more detail about that because yeah. and what they can do about it because if there's these unconscious biases okay, they're walking in the door in, you know, behind the eight ball. So what can, what should a business do to make sure that they are hiring more effectively? Well, first they have to understand uh, and, and realize that they are not great at interviewing uh, and that the interview process is fundamentally flawed. Uh, and so that's one. Uh, and once you understand it, then you say, okay, well, then what can I do about that? Because it's right. the, really the best way to hire anybody is to, is to find out, you know, um, do they fit your values, et cetera? Do they have at least the, 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 the basic skills to get the job done that you're hiring them for? Will they fit into the team? And if you can sort of figure that out, then I would say, you know what? Hire two people and then get them, you know, give them 90 days or 120 days and you will find out if you were right or not but that's expensive and takes a while. So we don't do that. Now, of course, we don't realize that it's, that it's on a larger scale, which is since the data shows that 
we are right 50% of the time when we hire, which means basically you could flip a coin yeah. and do just as well. You don't have to interview anybody, right? You just sort of look at resume and say, yeah, these, look, these two look pretty good. Let's just flip a coin, pick one, give it a go and see what happens. You'll do just as well than going through this entire process. Now, that's hard to do. So, so what you can do instead is uh, there is um, two things. You can step back from that and say that, you know, you, you'll hire them, but you have a trial period. So my daughter worked for Whole Foods for a number of years. And when they hire anyone at Whole Foods, I think at any level, but maybe not, there's a 90 day trial period and, and you have to basically do the job, et cetera. But the team gets to vote on whether to keep you in the team as part of the like process. And the 90 days, they, the, the manager goes around and says, what do you think of, of you know, Maggie? And they're like, yep, she, we love her. She's great, et cetera, et cetera. Great, she's on the team. Um, uh, so that's one way to do it. But again, that's more difficult. So the only interview process that I've seen that gets the most um, accolades, if you will, and the most um, sort of energy behind it is what's called a structured interview process, where you ask the candidates all the same questions. Um, and then you, you, you do that over a number of people, and then you get back and you compare all the answers. And then you look at, okay, what do we think? You know, we're looking for these three or four things. How do they fit into each? What do we, what do we think? And then you take your best guess uh, of, of what it is, but knowing full well that you may have hired wrong. So the next thing you can do, okay, knowing that you hired wrong, it, maybe for the job or whatever, if you hired wrong for the company, then that's a fit issue. And then you're probably, they're probably not going to make it. And you should figure that out pretty quickly. And, and you should remove them from the company or at least the team. Maybe there's yeah. a different team that can fit on, but you should be flexible in the fact that, you know what? We may have to move them to a different job. Uh, we think they're great people. We think they they fit well into our culture and, and our values and our purpose and all those things that we've that we've looked at. Um, but you know, Diane, you, you know, you shouldn't be um, in the customer support group. You should probably be in the sales group because we're seeing these things from you now, and you look more like our salespeople than you do like customer success. Um, and so you start to you move her in that role, and, and hopefully it's something that fits with what you want, etc. And and you can be successful. Um, so that's that's generally. The, the things that I've read of, of how you can get around it. And I, I actually wrote, I wrote a blog post about it a, a few weeks ago called How to Design a Better Hiring Process. And some of that stuff is in there. I, I think um, this is sort of liberating, I think, for people because I've seen companies where they just won't make the hiring decision because they're so afraid they're going to make a mistake. And what I hear from you is have a process have it be the same for everybody, make a decision and pay attention. And I love the idea of having then the team get to vote as well, you know, get to weigh in on, is this person actually a fit? Cause that's really where you find out. Yeah. And then the, the last thing you do, which I, didn't, which I didn't mention, cause I think you, yeah. you, you capture it really well is then great. Now you should do retro, retrospective analysis of how you did, right? So once a year, go back and figure out all the people you hired and say, how did we do? Were we successful? Were we not successful? Where, where, where were we not successful? What did we fix that? Where were we successful? How do we do more of that? And then your process will get better and better and better and better. We don't do that either. We just say, oh, you know, <laughs> we screwed up and we don't actually figure out why, what happened. Uh, and it's hard because if you're doing it haphazardly, then you have no idea. But if you do it structured, then you can go back and look and, at, the, at the different questions and the answers. And, right. And um, so... Uh, you know, the, uh, huh. I think 
I think uh, orchestras do this really well is when they bring in a new orchestra person, they put them behind a screen and they just listen to them play. <laughs> they don't look at them. They don't know if it's a woman or a man, shot, short, fat, bald, whatever, they don't care. Uh, because yeah. they knew that this would happen. Uh, and most big orchestras do that now. That's great. That's so interesting. Oh, I, I, this, this is such great feedback and, and information for folks. I think this is, boy, these are things that obviously people are struggling with every day, uh, unnecessarily, apparently, because they're just where they're really not taking that giant step back to really look at how are they doing what they're doing and is it having the, the effect that they really want. Agreed. Yeah, and teams are so important. We don't even do the yeah. basic work to make sure that we're doing it well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot of leaders think they can just tell people, you know, here's the vision, here's your stuff, now go to it. But I really like what you're saying about the leader, um, the good leaders are ones that are part of the team, that, that are really setting the foundation and are really part of it because then it creates inclusivity instead of hierarchy. Exactly. Yeah, one of the things the brain is always looking at is status. Where, where do I fit? What is my relative importance to others? And when, we're, when we know that we're one down, it puts us into a, a, some degree of a threat mode on a regular basis. Uh, and that's not good. Our brains don't work as well when we're, we're in any level of threat mode, right? You want the, war, the, yeah. the brain to be relaxed and in reward mode and always, you know, those endorphins and serotonin and oxytocin moving all the time, right? As much as, yeah. as, much as you can. And, and when we're sending that cortisol or other stuff in there, it actually affects the way they think. It affects their energy, affects their motivation, affects so many things. And we don't even know we're doing it most of the time. Right. With them. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's part of the dilemma, right? Is that we're not doing this intentionally. No. We just don't realize this is the impact we're having. Yeah, so that's why I think people is the, is the biggest wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Oh my gosh, Bill, I, I really appreciate this and I really want people to get the book. So will you tell them you know, how they can find you, how they can get the book outside of getting it on Audible if you like to listen? Um, Sure. So, uh, so definitely get an audible and I'll, I'll plug it. I, I got a, a world, uh, a, an award-winning narrator. Uh, I actually found him because he, he, my daughter listened to him when she was nine or 10 and some books, he, some kids books he read. And I loved the way he, the way his tenor tone and timber, as I would say. And uh, I got him to be, to read my book, which was really cool. And my daughter was just flabbergasted when I played a clip and I'm like, you remember this voice? She's like, Oh my God, I remember this voice. You know, she's 20, she's 20 now. Um, so Audible is great, but you know, I'm more about the message than the money. So I give away my book for free. You can, you can download it from my site. Sorry for Audible, but you can if you want. Um, <laughs> I'd rather have you get the book than, you know, than, than, like it's nine bucks or something than not. Uh, but so if you go to my site, you can, you can do that. You can also get on, it's a Kindle, it's a paperback and it's on Audible. And uh, you can do all that from my website. Uh, if you go to the, it's, so it's catalystgrowthadvisors.com is my website. The book is called Further Faster, and you can see Further Faster Resources is one of the one of the links on there, and it gives you an ability to buy it on Amazon, Audible, or um, or download it for free if you want. That's so great! Thank you so much, and listeners, thank you. Th this was 
uh, one of those episodes that I think you have to listen to a couple of times and, you know, go to Bill's website and get the book and, and read it. We can, we can change the trajectory of our businesses by knowing where our biases are and creating structure and being a part of the team and creating that psychologically safe environment. I, I love that phrase. Um, for our employees. Uh, and I'd like to thank our sponsor. Uh, please head over to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and grab your free trial of audible.com so that you can explore all of the content that is there for you, the podcast, guided meditations, uh, audiobooks, and the like. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. Bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.